Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 good morning, good morning, a pleasant good Wednesday morning to each and every one of you. We welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way, 10A to noon, Paul. Thank you. You can follow us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports, and you can find us in podcast form. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. Boys, good morning. Casey, Paul, how are we looking? out in full force right now <laughs> it's taking on a life so you know i got to thinking uh, last night that we need to get a nickname for casey because you are now blp right yeah i guess the show has a new nickname kind of an ncn we do right we're drifting or trending that way as you guys like to say <laughs> uh but we need something for casey and I don't want this to be one of those deals where we just, you know, I want to hear from all of you guys on the chat by the thousands out there. But we need something for Casey. It's got to be natural, though. That's it's what I mean. Yeah, naturally, it, like everything else came naturally. As yeah. Trace likes to say, organic. Yeah, yeah. He's a big organic yeah. guy. You know? <laughs> Dewan Jones. <laughs> yeah, just Nick call him the Dewan. DJ. Dewan Jones. <laughs> Did somebody say that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Chad. Chad, that's good stuff. Dewan Jones, that might be it. People were asking in the chat yesterday, is he invited to your wedding? Dewan Jones? Well, I mean, not anymore. He stinks. Stinks, Tom. He's a Cleveland Brown. He stinks. Uh, hey, by the way, did you see the story that had not come out before? At least I had never read it before. Did, did I read something yesterday where he is diabetic? We're just learning that. Is he? I thought someone said, I don't want to say that for sure. I thought I read that yesterday. And there were some that were wondering, that's why. Check that out. We'll check that out. That could have been one of your friends who, uh, you know, like they're at the California restaurant out there. Did <laughs> yeah. you see this story before we get to sports, by the way? Did you see this story? Apparently, there's a California eatery, okay, where this woman has owned the place for 20 years. She bought it from a guy who was a veteran who had owned it 10 years before. And the guy who owned it, right, decides every day at 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon, early evening, that anybody who's in the eatery or at the bar, at 6 o'clock, they all stand up, they put their hand on their heart, they say the Pledge of Allegiance, and then they sing the National Anthem. Well, apparently there are people that are really offended by that. So they went in there, they took video of it, put it on TikTok, and said how they're scared to death that people in America would be doing this now. Many of you have heard this story already. It's viral. It's all over the world. <laughs> all right. What a game last night for the Red Legs. How about that segue? It was in San Diego. So we were just talking about California. Graham Ashcraft, this, this guy's a stud. He goes six innings, allows one run. But former Cardinal Michael Waka was even better. He goes six innings of shutout baseball, right? So it stayed one nothing until the la uh, eighth inning, and that's when the Reds tie the game. And then Jonathan India delivered a base hit in the top of the 10th. That proved to be the game winner, a 2-1 decision in 10 for the Red Legs. Four relievers last night, outstanding work. Four innings of shutout baseball. Diaz gets a save. Derek Law. Actually got a win last night. 
He was 0-4 so far this year. The finale of the series and the road trip is later this afternoon. Luis Sessa and Seth Lugo, the pitching matchup with a win. The Reds would finish 4-2 on a road trip through Oakland and San Diego. Bryce Harper made his season debut last night in L.A. after his historically rapid return from Tommy John elbow surgery. Harper went 0-4, struck out three times. It was only 160 days since having that surgery after the World Series last November. Trevor Bauer, a standing O for Trevor Bauer last night in Japan. He returns to baseball for the first time in 22 months since being suspended, of course, by MLB. And he was Trevor Bauer. He was really good. Seven innings, one run, no strikeouts in the Japanese league. Interesting that the only run he allowed was a home run by Matt Davidson, who played with Bauer right here in Cincinnati in 2019. It will be intriguing to see if Bauer is scooped up by a major league team once we get to July and everything heats up. All right. How about the L.A. Lakers last night? Ooh, what a good game. That was a big league game. That was a big league game. They close it out on a 14-0 run and shock the defending champion Warriors 117-112. All the talk, right, including the show yesterday, of LeBron v. Curry. The man of the night, and I mean the man of the night, was Anthony Davis. Goodness gracious. 30 points, 23 rebounds in the game one win in the Western Conference semis. Davis joins, how about this quartet? He joins Shaquille O'Neal, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Elgin Baylor, all Hall of Famers, as the only Lakers to ever go 30-20 in a playoff game. LeBron goes for 22 points and 11 rebounds. Curry has 27 Game two Thursday night in San Francisco. The New York Knicks, even their series in the Eastern Conference semis, 1-1 after beating Miami, 111-105. The series now heads south Sunday afternoon for game three. Tonight, game two, Boston and the Sixers. No word on whether Joel Embiid will play after missing game one with a leg injury. Embiid was named the NBA's MVP last night. That's the first time he's won it in his career. In the NHL, both road teams won opening round games last night. Florida in Toronto, Seattle in Dallas. Brandon Allen is no longer a Bengal. Casey, your thoughts? All reports he's headed to the 49ers, where I think they have more quarterbacks than they do uh, members of the secondary. Um, I mean, I... I don't have much thought on it. I think they were already ready to move on from him. Um, maybe go with someone that's a cheaper option, which would be uh, Browning, I believe. He's on our roster on the that's practice That's exactly squad. right. So I think it's his time, his time to shine. And uh, I'm sure they'll get another practice squad guy at some point um, to fill in his shoes. But, um, yeah, I guess they're, they're ready to move on from Allen. He probably just – Saving some money on that end, you know, a couple million here and there can go a long way. So no other thoughts other than just, you know, 
it was his time to move on. And now he's going to go help support a San Francisco team where he might actually get to play some. So <laughs> it just seems like they lose a quarterback every single season. He gets a, you know, backup gets a chance, and then that backup gets hurt, and then the backup backup comes in. So it's a perfect scenario for Brandon Allen. I mean, he's, he's leaving here, and I don't know if the Bengals told him that Browning's going to be the guy or they're going to bring somebody. Maybe Cam Newton they bring. Ooh. But I don't know if, if they told him. They, didn't they have to tell him that he wasn't going to be back? Because of all the teams in the NFL, now you can make the case, why not sign with the 49ers? Because they don't know about Brock Purdy. They really don't know about Trey Lance. Both had major injuries, right? They brought in Sam Darnold, who is healthy. But, I mean, just looking at those three guys alone, I mean, if all of them come back, there's no way Brandon Allen makes that team. Maybe somebody else scoops him up. But apparently, and I heard a great story yesterday, uh, by the way, about uh, Zach Taylor um, and going after Jake Browning. Great story. This is when Browning's coming out of college. 2017, something like that. And anyway, um, Zach Taylor's working for the Rams. And he's scouting all the quarterbacks. And when the Bengals had a chance to go get Browning and bring him here once Taylor became the head coach, I mean, Browning shared the story that Taylor's talking about some game he played at Washington against Fresno State and all these throws he's making and what was he thinking here and what was he thinking there. And Browning couldn't believe it. Pretty impressive. Your guy, Zach Taylor. My guy. That's your guy. My coach. Coming up, we have uh, Nick Kirby to talk everything Reds at 1030. James Rapine will be here at 11 to talk about everything Ben Galley's. Okay. So, I decide last night, even though it's very late start, 10 o'clock, you guys did the same thing. I'm going to watch the Lakers and the Warriors, okay? Because I, I really think that when you get now to the final eight in the NBA, I know a lot of people say the same thing about hockey. I'm not a big hockey guy, but, boy, to watch it in the playoffs, it really is exciting, right? Yeah, right. NBA, same deal. I mean, the atmosphere in that building is unbelievable. Big wine and cheese crowd, you know, out there in San Francisco. Uh, it is what it is. But they're into it. They love the Warriors. And they have a lot to be excited about. Um, man, they're up and down the floor. Lakers can't buy a, a three uh, the whole first half. It's on pace to be 130 to 130, right? At the right. end of the first half, they were both in the mid-60s. All right, I'm, I'm going to get this rant out of the way. I've shared this with both of you already. <laughs> I never condone violence in any form or fashion. <laughs> As you guys know, I am a peaceful man. Lover, not a fighter. But I got to tell you, after catching your buddy, your guy, Paul. My guy? Pool. That's, oh, yeah, that's definitely my guy. There's no doubt that's my guy. After catching his act on the floor in the first five minutes of game one last night, I think I can see a sliver 
of justification as to why his teammate, Draymond Green, dropped him during a practice. That guy, you can have him. (laughs) You can have him. Not a fan. I love smack talk. I love it. And people will tell you some of the great smack talkers of all time include guys like Michael Jordan and Larry Bird, John Starks from the Knicks. I mean, there's a whole litany of guys that are good smack talk. The best smack talkers are the guys that do it without making any hand gestures. They don't move, right? They, they just, you know, they'll be at the free throw line, standing next to some guy, you'll light him up, or whatever it might be. Boy, nice play down at that end. My sister could have, whatever, right? Yeah. Something like that. I mean, those are the best smack talkers. But Poole last night, they're three minutes into the game, he makes a three, and he's walking over and doing all these hand gestures and all this nonsense to the Lakers. Tired. Tired. He can play. I'll give him that. But, boy, his act is tired. And I am sure, after just catching his act for a little bit, that you rub Draymond Green the wrong way, even in practice, even if he's your teammate. <laughs> am I on to something here, Paul, or am I, am I totally wrong? Yeah, I mean, Jordan Poole is not – he's not somebody that's going to really make you mad or upset. He's just going to be annoying and kind of get under your skin. But the epitome of Jordan Poole is him pulling up from 30 feet, 30 feet last night for that final shot. And then everybody's captions were, you know, it's Jordan Poole time. Jordan Poole. Like, it's, that's him. That's him thinking he's the man. He's got to go out there and take that shot. And that's like what I said. A contested Steph Curry three was better than what they got there from that, whatever that look was from Jordan Poole taking a <laughs> jumper from 30 feet away. I mean. Did you see Curry's reaction at the end when he took that shot? It's ridiculous. I mean, he just bent over at the waist. Look at this from Chad. I make a motion to call off the bench – Studio, the nut house. I like that. <laughs> I like it. I love it. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I just, did you see the reaction by Curry? Yeah, I mean, it, it's deserved. It, it's a ridiculous shot when you have Steph Curry on your team and that's the shot you take at the very end. What are we doing? Tell me if you agree. You guys like basketball. Paul, you watch an extraordinary amount of basketball. Now, There was a point in time in the game last night when I'm talking to my son about what I'm watching here and these teams. Now, the kid from um, the Warriors who's been the leading rebounder in the playoffs so far this year. Help me with his last name. They're a big guy. He's really rebounding the ball. Looney? Yeah. Kevon Looney? He's been rebounding extraordinarily well in the playoffs. Okay? Okay. That's against the first round, the Kings. Anybody who knows basketball, you watch that game last night. There is one, and and look, Golden State doesn't miss a lot of shots, so maybe it's not going to be a big deal. But I can tell you one thing. If teams start going cold in that series and Golden State goes cold, I don't know if the Warriors are ever going to get a rebound against that Lakers team. No. That Lakers team has a huge advantage in that one area, in my opinion. Paul, you agree? Yeah. On the glass. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, there's no doubt, and especially, I mean, the Lakers, the Lakers right now, for the first time in 
well, they won the bubble title. But 21 and 22, they just looked basically non-competitive. They had the dynamics of the team were out of whack. Guys weren't really sure what their role is. Now they have a true point guard. Austin Reeves is a stud. LeBron is playing at LeBron level. Anthony Davis is contributing at a high level, and he's not hurt. Lakers are good right now, and they look like a contending team. Yes, they do. They look like a true contender right now, which we haven't said in three years. I mean, Looney had 23 rebounds last night, so don't get – I mean, believe me, I'm not not saying this is an enormous advantage. And It should be noted that all but uh, what? All but one of his – he had seven offensive rebounds. 16 came on the defensive end. But Anthony Davis. I mean, Stud. is that kind of game way out of the norm? I, I know 30-23 is out of the norm for anybody. Uh, and I know he's considered to be one of the game's great stars. But did anybody see a 30-23 a coming out of Anthony Davis? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I'm asking because I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the level he's been playing at. I mean, 23 rebounds is obviously a lot. Yeah. But the 30-point game, because it, it feels like when you go into a game, you ask yourself the question, is this going to be a LeBron game or is this going to be an Anthony Davis game? And then just one of them goes off. Last night was an Anthony Davis game. And he's been playing at that level. That was not, I was not shocked when I saw the box score. Um, in, fact, in fact, one of my friends put in a parlay before the game for – AD to score 30, which he did. Jordan Poole to make three threes. He made five. And then uh, Steph to hit 40. He only had 27. But, yeah, it was – Steph to hit 40, that was the parlay? 40? 40 was the last leg. And he he wow. only had 27. That's a tough one to hit. But, uh, yeah, AD has been playing at that level lately. Yeah. Man, he goes 44 minutes. LeBron goes 40 minutes. Um, hmm. Yeah, no, Looney is a heck of a rebounder. He, he's, he's a good player. And, you know, when you watch guys, and again, I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I don't watch a lot of NBA. I think they're the greatest athletes in the world. I've said that for years. When you consider uh, the, the demand physically running up and down that floor 82 times a year, basically an entire season, depending how long you go in the postseason, you take into account their age for some of these guys like LeBron. I mean, they are just extraordinary athletes. What blows me away in just watching some guys I haven't watched a lot before, Schroeder, for example, right? I don't know a lot about this guy. But watching him taking the ball to the basket a couple of times last night, he might be the quickest human being I have ever seen in my life. I thought you said Tyree Kill was your fastest human being. You That's fastest in a straight race. But when it comes to taking the ball to the top of the key and all of a sudden two steps and you have gone right by somebody and you're laying it in and they're three feet behind you. Is he known as a really good player? Help me here, Paul. Well, <laughs> I mean, he had 19 points last night. So he had a good game when it matters. So He's a good sixth man, right? I mean, so Dennis Schroeder bet on himself a couple years ago. He was a former number one pick. Yeah, so he got offered like an $80 million contract two or three years ago, and he turned it down because he thought he was going to – he thought he could make more money. So he bet on himself, and then he had 
I, I don't even think terrible is, a, is the right way to put it. He just had a downright horrific year. I think he ended up signing his next contract for something like $6 million. Right. So, well, isn't he, like, considered a really good sixth man, or is he still, like... Yeah, but, I mean, he's he, he used to be... He was a he was much better, or at least more highly thought of, a while ago, and now he's he gets the job done. I'm not trying to not... I'm just saying he thought he was better than he was about three years ago, and then now he is where he is. But, yeah, he serves his role great. Well, I'm just saying he's quick. Yes. I oh, mean, yeah. I, those are the little things that stood out to me that I, I just I marvel uh, at the athleticism. Fred in the chat says, pool greater than Steph. Many people are saying that, Tom, but not you. I'm just kidding. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was getting ready to say, who is saying I'm kidding. I'm kidding. that he's greater? Okay. All right, here's what we're going to do, Ham and Eggers. I, I'm assuming I, I'm overhearing Casey. Uh, is uh, Nick getting close here? Yes, he's, right, he's well, right. Well, Ham and Eggers, you guys take it. I'm going to be back. we got a lot to talk about, uh, Nick Kirby. There's a lot going on, including this latest with um, Diamond Sports in Valley. The Reds got their money. They got their cash. That's great. So they're staying on. We'll talk more about that and what's going on on the field with Nick Kirby. You can watch him regularly with Trace Fowler. Um, after Reds games, kind of break it all down. So that's coming up next. Mr. President, after throwing an NBC reporter off his plane, take it away. (laughs) It's that time of the show, the ham and eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Uh, All right. We are going to talk plenty of Bengals coming up with James Rapine, so I'll pitch it now. The Bengals Report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. There is also a new premium alkaline water out. It's Pawnee. Tastes fantastic. It's made right here in Hamilton, Ohio, and it uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at pawneywater.com. That's P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Betfred, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. I am begging the YouTube chat again. I do not know why this is happening. It is such a very small, minor inconvenience. But is there any way that anybody knows how to get the YouTube chat that's on the right side of my screen to be the full right side of the screen and not just this tiny little box that only shows like three messages? I have no idea how to fix this, and it drives me nuts. And then I just show up one day, and it fixes itself. I go to different accounts. I go to, I go to Firefox. I go to Safari. It's all the same. It's like it's linked to my account, and I have a setting set up that way. I don't know how to fix it. It's brutal. It's like I just need to – but I can't do the pop-out chat. That drives me nuts too. It's all I need is on the right side of the screen. I don't know. I don't, I, don't get, I, don't, I don't get inconvenienced by much in life. I'm pretty easygoing. I'm pretty low-maintenance. But I don't know why. This is driving me banana lands. All right. That's all my – yeah, go ahead. The one thing I was going to say is um, uh, some of the people – on Twitter 
noticed that I, I posted something about not wearing the helmet for the last couple of days and the Reds hadn't won. Well, jinxes don't exist. Jinxes those, do not for exist. For those that didn't see my tweet this morning, they don't exist. We're, we're back on that train. So Nice. Don't need that helmet to win. Happy to have you. Tom, are you ready for, for Nick? I am ready. We got uh, Nick Kirby here, and uh, you watch him regularly on uh, Chatterbox Sports. It's always great to check in with Nick. Nick, how are you this morning, my friend? You're looking good in that big league setting where you are every day. Yeah, hey, Tom, how you doing? I'm all right. How you doing? I'm doing well. Hey, after uh, that game last night, feeling really good this morning. Uh, that would have been a, a, a tough one staying up late for <laughs> You know, it's tough to stay up, man. I mean, I don't know how, how early you got to get up, but, but those West Coast games, whether they be baseball, basketball, whatever, those are late, late nights. It does help with this pitch clock, though, immensely. And the extra, in, and the, uh, extra inning rule, too. Uh, you don't have a lot of games going 12, 13, 14 innings. So I know a lot of people don't like it, but uh, for people who do post-game shows, it, it sure comes in handy. <laughs> You know, it was interesting. I was reading uh, yesterday, I think it was somewhere, it might have been on ESPN.com. I don't know if you saw it or not. Uh, but they, they randomly chose uh, four or five players, um, two pitchers, a couple of hitters, and then they asked, I think, three different managers. I think Marmol from St. Louis. There were a couple of others in there. Kevin Cash from um, Tampa Bay. I don't know if you saw the article. But they asked them a month into the season, um, their – opinions on the rule changes and I found it very interesting uh, how some guys thought you know it was going to be one way and there would be a lot of clock violations and all this kind of thing other guys chiming in about stolen bases it's much easier to do pitchers seem to be the only ones of the group uh, collectively uh, that were not happy about a lot of the rule changes what are your thoughts a month in about all these rule changes I think it's been fantastic. I just think it's a much cleaner product. I think the games are are crisp. Uh, you don't feel I don't feel cheated from any of these games. I don't feel like oh man I, that game was so short. I you're just cutting out a lot of the dead time. Um, there's a lot more action. Um, I I don't think the stolen bases have been up maybe as much as I thought they would be. You know, like we saw the Reds in spring training just running rampant. And and they they've they've definitely had an uptick in stolen bases, but it hasn't been like this big dramatic change in in the the game, but by any means. But uh, yeah, I, I think the pitch clock it, it's it seems like the players have adjusted well to it. Hasn't been a whole lot of violations lately. Oh, okay. I, I thought we had lost you there for a second. You know, I I, I would I would at least uh, you know make the make the argument, Nick. I think the reason we haven't seen a lot of stolen bases is because of the effect of analytics on baseball for a long time and in the last number of years because of the type of players they've been drafting. You know, stolen bases and speed and those kinds of things have been de-emphasized um, uh, as opposed to you know hitting home runs. So maybe that with the changes they're making now starts to swing scouting and the kind of players back in the other direction. You think that's a fair argument? Yeah, I think the the, the magic number was like 70%. If you had a success rate of below 70%, it just isn't – the, the numbers don't match up to where it's worthwhile to steal bases. Uh, but the increase with the bigger bases, the increase with the, uh, the limiting of the pickoff moves, 
uh, I think will definitely help that. And uh, the Reds, they have a lot of players coming up that, that they could really use as an advantage, even more so than, you know, the players now. Like they got, you know, TJ Friedel, I think Jake Fraley, Jonathan India um, have some stolen base capability, but they're nowhere near guys like Matt McClain and Ellie De La Cruz and, and even like Noel V. Marte, their ability to uh, steal bases on a, a nightly basis. All right, let's, let's talk about Ashcraft a little bit here. Um, would you agree with the following statement? A month into the season, Ashcraft has been the best of the big three young starters. Oh, yeah, without, without question. And that's just incredible. You know, this was the guy that was the, the, the last of the three to, to get up here, uh, and he looks like the most polished. Um, he gave up a home run in the fourth inning of his first start of the season and has not allowed a home run since. He's gone 39 innings without allowing a home run, and he's faced some really good lineups like that lineup last night. Uh, he just he attacks the hitters, only one walk against uh, uh, just a, a ridiculously talented lineup. Um, he, he just goes right after. He has, he has no fear on the mound. Uh, and, and I think he still has more upside with strikeouts. Um, he's getting a lot of outs, even some hard hit outs. The, when, when guys hit the ball hard on against Graham Ashcraft, they hit it right into the ground. So it's a lot different than, you know, if you hit the ball hard against uh, Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo, who, who I still very high on. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he's just able to, to get some of these mistakes or, you know, uh, hard hit balls that turn into outs on like a lot of other pitchers are able to. Where, where do you think Green is right now? You know, we saw Lodolo get off to the, the, the fast start. Then he had a couple of really bad games. He was better his most recent start in Oakland when he went five innings, allowed three runs, didn't get the win. Um, but, but where do you think Hunter Green is right now? Because if you went one, two, three in terms of production so far this year, it would be Ashcraft, Lodolo up here, and then a pretty significant drop to Green. I think it would actually be flipped between Green and Lodolo. Really? Um, okay. Well, Lodolo's last couple starts have been have been rough. He, he's been giving yep. up uh, a lot of hard hit balls. I, I I've been very overall pleased with I think where Hunter Green's at. Got to remember this guy's 22 years old. Uh, most pitchers that are 22 years old aren't in their second season in the big leagues. Um, he's still got a lot of upside. Uh, I think you're just you're going to have some starts with Hunter Green where you're going to kind of shake your head and be like. How is he not pitching better than this? And then you're going to have some other starts where he just completely uh, blows the other team away. That's just kind of, I think, the nature of of where he's at. But um, I think his last start, he he really had a better pick, pitch mix uh, where he wasn't just relying on the fastball. There was a, a, a good mix between his slider and changeup as well. Uh, and he, he's just kind of working through some of these things, figuring out what works and uh, – um, I think overall, I've been I've been very impressed with Green. I'm not really wor worried about Lodolo. Um, I think he's just been a couple bad starts, uh, uh, but he's got to find a way to uh, locate his pitches a little bit better. He's just been leaving a lot of pitches right over the middle of the plate. Okay, let's uh, look ahead to today. Um, you know, Weaver uh, filled in for Overton in that number four spot. Um, now you have Sessa going back to the mound today through all of his struggles early on I mean the guy will always take the ball for you I think it's safe to say and, and you could say it's about a lot of guys but says is the kind of guy he's going to give you everything he's got every time he's out there whether it's a starter or a reliever you got to have guys like him somewhere on your pitching staff 
How do you see the uh, rubber game here today? And then I have a lot of other topics around baseball I want to get into you uh, with you today, Nick. But how do you see this series finale today? Well, whatever happens today is gravy, right? Three and three. Yep. <laughs> three and three West Coast road trip. Uh, watched a lot of West Coast road trips from the Reds, <laughs> and uh, I'll gladly take three and three. So, hey, look, you got Luis Sess on the mound. Um, uh, the guy the Padres are throwing, Seth Lugo, who struggled his last couple starts. So, uh, Luis Sess, he, he's pitched decent his last couple starts. Definitely uh, improvement from from where we saw him early in the year. So, um yeah, I just hope you go out with that house house money mentality today. And, man, it'd be incredible if you could win two uh, series on the road. But if you don't, hey, still played overall well. I think every single one of us would have taken a 3-3 three and three West Coast road trip when it started. No doubt about it. Um, you said last week uh, when we had you that you were going out, or maybe you, you dropped in on the chat and let us know. You like uh, frequently to go out and start checking out some minor league teams and minor league players. Who have you seen? What have you seen that stands out? Well, right now, uh, it, it's all about uh, uh, Matt McClain and Christian yep. Encarnacion and Strand, who are just tearing the cover off the ball at uh, – at triple a i think uh they're both very close i know reds fans just can't wait to get these guys up and, and i don't blame them they're they're going to be exciting the reds lineup has definitely lacked some thump and carnacio and strand will fix that matt mcclain will fix some of that but but those guys will just lengthen the lineup and i think it's important for a lot of reds fans to remember the lineup that we see right now is not going to be the same lineup in august and september it's going to look dramatically different and i think the lineup at the end of the year is going to be a much more better indication of how the future is going to look for the reds well help me with this a little bit here nick um i think it's safe to say that of all the prospects the reds have i think they have pushed mclean the most and i say pushed in a good way i think that you know they keep keep, keep putting him in situations where Okay, show me, show me, show me. All he does is show me. Uh, you just made reference to August and September. Um, I don't even think they're gonna. It's gonna be that long for McLean to get up here. Do you? Yeah, I I could see him getting called up this weekend. Like I think that's how close he is. Um, I could see the Reds also being a little more patient. Um, Matt McLean has been as good as he possibly could be over the last month. Um, but we also have to remember, over a full season last year at Double A, he hit 232. He had a 116 weighted runs created plus. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't at this elite level. So I could see them saying, "Hey, let's let Matt McLean have a couple more weeks. Maybe he kind of, uh, you know, comes back down to the norm, and we let him kind of work through it before we we call him back up. Um, or I don't know. Maybe they'll just say, "Hey, the heck with it. Let's bring him up on on Friday. He's close. I I can really see you going either way with him." I really, I've said this a lot on, on Chatterbox Reds. I think that each individual player that the Reds are looking at of their top prospects like McLean, like Christian Encarnacio, Strand, like Ellie De La Cruz, like even Andrew Abbott, it needs to be the right time for each individual player. It shouldn't be in this season where our expectations aren't World Series. It, it, it shouldn't be, let's call these guys up to, to fill a, a, a gap and and. and and plug a hole right now. It should be calling these guys up at the exact right moment for them individually. And for Matt McLean, it might be Friday, but it might be two weeks from now. It might be three weeks from now, whatever, you know, they kind of see on that front. Okay. Um, gosh, I just lost a train of thought on something I was going to ask you about. You, you, you know, I, I look at um, 
the way the team and the positions they're player they're playing in some cases, the way it's laid out right now, and I think we all understand it is uh, what it is in that regard. But when you start talking about bringing up a McLean, eventually bringing up Encarnacion Strand, we know about the defensive issues with India at second base, things like that. Do you think once they start bringing up a couple of these young guys that they're going to start asking, use India as an example, because he's prime candidate number one for me. He's not a second baseman. He's just not. They didn't draft him as one, and he's not a good defensive player. Good offensive player, good leader, not a good defender. Um, do you think that we'll start to see guys start to change around and move around position-wise to try to move ahead, not only with bringing up your prospects, but then putting them in a position where they're playing eventually where you want them to play and other guys are playing where you might need them to play? Well, they have kept a lot of these guys in the minor leagues very position flexible. Uh, just for example, Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain, uh, the last two games have flipped between shortstop and third base. So they're, they're keeping these guys flexible. We've seen with Spencer Steer, he's been playing first base. Um, they've also played him in the outfield at times. So they'll keep these guys flexible. I don't think they're going to move Jonathan India out to, say, the outfield in the middle of the season. I don't think that would be at all fair to him. I think you need to give him a full offseason to, to transition to that. Uh, I think right now you probably want to keep Jonathan India as a second baseman, at least maybe through the trade deadline, just to give you options. I'm not saying they're going to trade Jonathan India, but if you move him to the outfield now, Trace has brought this point up, he's going to instantly lose value from other perspectives. And I don't think the Reds are trading Jonathan India, don't get me wrong, but I think you want to keep that, that option open in case you decide or someone comes out with you an offer that you just absolutely can't resist. I, I think towards, we get towards the end of the year, we'll probably see Jonathan India DHing a lot more, maybe to kind of finish out this season. And, and then maybe if, you know, assuming he's still a Red, then maybe a transition him out to like left field or something like that. Just because you're going to have so many other better defensive options. Um, and not just McLean, Ellie De La Cruz. You have Barrera. There's just so many different guys that, that you could play at those positions that uh, uh, could be plus defenders. Tell me if you think I'm on to something here. I would make the argument that if I were looking into a crystal ball, which I don't have, I think opening day next year, you have Steer playing first. I think you have um, McLean playing second. I think you have De La Cruz playing short and Encarnacion stranded third. Am I out on a limb there? Uh, I would switch Encarnacion strand and Steer. Uh, I think okay. that uh, – Encarnacion Strand is not an above-average defensive no, player. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, so I, I think he'd be better served as your first base slash DH. Um, maybe you kind of mix him kind of in the same role like like Votto is going to be maybe this year if we see him. Um, I think Steer has looked really solid at third base. That has yes. been very, very encouraging. That was a big question mark. Yeah, I think four throwing errors in spring training. That was a big question mark coming into the year. I know he struggled lately at the plate. He also uh, had that that uh, leg injury um, that, that I think maybe kind of threw him off of his game a little bit. But defensively, he hasn't really missed a beat at third base, and that's been a really, really encouraging thing. But I don't think Spencer Sears is going to necessarily be – all right, he's going to be third baseman every day. I think Spencer Sears is probably going to be a guy that plays some third base, plays some first base, maybe even plays some outfield, some corner outfield, because he's done that as well. I, I think the Reds see him as a versatile guy. Okay. Um, I, I want to get into well, no. You, since you touched on the name Joey Votto, and we brought this up 
uh, on the program here yesterday. You know, look, um, there is no doubt this guy had two very significant surgeries. Uh, He did everything he could in typical Joey Votto fashion. I mean, I've never seen a harder working guy in my life all the years I've been around in any walk of life than, than, than Votto is. Ultimate grinder. No question about it. Um, he tries to come back for opening day. Doesn't happen. We know that story. Uh, he goes down to Louisville, really struggles, which I don't think is a huge surprise. But now, um, you know, I've heard kind of conflicting reports on what it is exactly that he's doing right now. You know, there are times I've heard he's in Cincinnati. Then there are times I heard he can't go face, you know, uh, pitching of some kind. Fill us in on what you're hearing exactly what Votto is doing right now leading up to what eventually will be uh, another stint in the minor leagues on rehab. I'll be honest, Tom. I haven't heard a whole lot. It's okay. been, been it's been pretty hush hush from from at least what I've been reading and, and following as I you know try my best to follow this team every day. Um, I, I just heard that he's he's working out, trying to get back on another rehab assignment in the near future. Uh, that that term near future it sounds like it's pretty loose at this point. Um, so I I just think it you know at this point there's no reason to rush Joey Votto right. Let him, whenever he's ready, uh, let him go on a rehab assignment. Hopefully he can have some success. It would be great to have Votto at least have, I don't know, maybe even a month or two months where he's able to, to, to get the, uh, the final curtain call that, that he deserves in, in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, and, and the fans can come out and see him. I think that's maybe my biggest hope is I'm not really worried about his production this year at all um, because I'm really more focused on the, the other guys in their – you know, future ability to help this team. I'd just like to see Joey Votto come back and, and, you know, be able to get that, like, last last few curtain calls and the fans to be able to see Joey Votto in his last year in a, uh, a Reds uniform and, and give him the send-off that he deserves. For sure. I think we're all universally in agreement with that. Um, we were talking about the St. Louis Cardinals this morning, off the air. I went back and, and was reading a lot, the, the, the sad passing of Mike Shannon, their longtime broadcaster, a guy who was born and raised uh, in St. Louis, great athlete, Cardinal player, World Series champ, forever broadcaster. I uh, knew him a long time, knew him well, and, and, and sad about his passing. Uh, while I was digging around in the St. Louis papers, um, there is severe panic going on in St. Louis. Um, and for a lot of Reds fans, they love that. So worst start since the early 70s, over 50 years. They're 10 and 20. They've lost four in a row. They've not won a single first game of a series in any series they have played this year. And that held true again last night. Um, I draw a parallel here a little bit, Nick, and, and, and one of the fans even asked in the chat because, yes, they have Goldschmidt. Yes, they have Arenado, two huge stars on the corners. They decided to go with a bunch of young players here over the last year or two, and especially again this year. By and large, all of them uh, have been a disaster in the field, on the mound, uh, at the plate, uh, on any given day. Uh, And one of the people in the chat, uh, Brian, asked the question, what if all these guys in the Reds minor league system turn out to be a flop too? I'm not suggesting that's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But, but do we get bogged down too much in, in, in what a guy is going to be 
and what they are at the minor leagues rather than just saying, okay, well, we'll see what happens when they get up here. I think we should always be cautious with prospects. Uh, the good thing for the Reds is they have a lot of them. You yeah. need a lot of them. You can't bank on Ellie De La Cruz to be your only savior. You need a Noel V. Marte and an Edwin Arroyo as, as options B and C and, and Matt McClain. Um, uh, these guys aren't all going to pan out. There's no guarantee you call it Matt McClain and he keeps hitting the way he does. Maybe he does. Maybe he goes on a tear and he has the same kind of uh, uh, success early on in the big leagues as a guy like Jonathan India. You won't know until um, until you give him a shot. Um, but, but the Reds have a lot. And I, I've said this time and time again, for me, the biggest difference with where the Reds are right now versus maybe other points of like the rebuild, things like that, is the farm system has more depth than it's had since I think Joey Votto and Jay Bruce were prospects. Um, it, it's not just the, the Reds have had some good prospects that have come up. Billy Hamilton was one of the best prospects in baseball. Todd Frazier. Yeah, but there wasn't this like guy after guy after guy. Like the Reds right now, they have all these really good prospects that are triple A. But if you go look at like the Daytona Tortugas in, in low A, that team is absolutely loaded. So I hope that is a, a continued factor for the Reds. I hope that as these guys come up and hopefully as the Reds start to have some success, they just continue to have guys behind them and, and they can keep keep pushing them up through the system because that's what good teams in smaller markets like Tampa Bay, like Cleveland do. That when they're winning – they're still developing and they're still having prospects coming up through the system. And that's the only way that the Reds will have any sustained success and be anything more than, you know, nice one, two, three year runs. All right. Last thing I want to um, ask you about is uh, Tyler Stevenson. A lot of talk about this guy right now. I mean, they sat him down last night. He came into the game later as the game moved on uh, as a pinch hitter, got one at bat, also drew a walk in his other plate appearance. Uh, but but he looks completely lost. How concerned should Reds fans be about Stevenson? I would be too concerned. Uh, he he did have a really nice uh, plate appearance last night. Drew a walk um, that uh, brought Jake Fraley to the plate with two outs, and he, he ended up uh, tying the game with a hit. Really nice uh, plate appearance where he laid off some tough pitches, which has kind of been, you know, he's kind of swung at some pitches that he normally doesn't. Uh, Stevenson's hitting the ball pretty hard, so that's an encouraging. His uh, like exit velocity is up. Um, he, he still just doesn't doesn't uh, launch the ball really much, and and I think maybe that's part of the struggles is maybe he's trying to hit with a little more authority. I, I know a guy, Tom. You probably remember. You remember Ryan Hannigan? Of course. How very well. when he when he first came up, all he would do was slap the ball. But then kind of out of nowhere, he started hitting, they call it like hitting with authority. And he became a really, really good catcher. I yes, kind of see some of that with Tyler Stevens. I think Tyler Stevens is more upside than Ryan Hannigan. Not defensively, obviously, but offensively, I think he's a lot more upside. And I think they're just trying right now to 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 work with him to be more of a threat at the plate other than a guy that's just going to, you know, um, hit, hit singles here and there and, um, um, hopefully what they do doesn't take away from his ability to uh, also spray the ball all over the field. Okay, I, I lied to you because one other thing has kind of come up. And, and, you know, these are the things and the kind of decisions where if you're a general manager, I think they are the hardest decisions to have to make. I've always maintained all along, Nick, I don't know if you agree with me or disagree, I think the Reds did an incredible disservice to Nick Senzel since the day they drafted him. 
Uh, they drafted him at one position. They move him to another, to another, to another. You mix in all the injuries. You mix in the change in his swing, the, all these kinds of things. I think everybody feels really good that this young man is playing so well right now. But he's never been a guy from a physical standpoint or a production standpoint that you can count on. Um, does he become a casualty? And this is a decision they're going to have to make sooner or later if he keeps playing well. Does he become a casualty to all of these young players they're going to bring up? Or do the Reds still look at him as still a young player, which he is, uh, and decide that he can be part of this future? Well, the good thing with Nixon Zell is he can play center field, he can play third base, he can play second base. So I hope the Reds get to a point where they don't need guys like that, but you can always find a, a guy like that. Uh, a place to play as long as he's producing. Nixon Zell, three home runs in the last week. This is a guy that only had, I think, eight over like the last three years. Uh, so he's really just been an incredible story this season. A guy that, I'll be honest, I wrote off. I, I thought he was toast. You're not alone. You're not alone. I'm not. I'll, I'll eat crow on that. If I, I hope Nixon Zell really makes me look silly on that. But uh, I, I, I get where a lot of people say they messed him up by moving him positions. I don't know. I push back on that a little bit. I say, well, okay. it didn't mess up. Didn't mess up Chris Bryant, did it? It didn't mess up Ian Happ. You know, w when it works, it's great. When it doesn't, it's the reason that they they struggle. I, I think a lot of it was just you know bad luck with injuries and things like that. That it just didn't work out. I don't think you. I think you you can evaluate that as part of the piece, but I don't think there it should be a hard like this messed him up or this didn't mess him up. You have to kind of look at, at these things as a uh, as a whole and. Uh, uh, see, but I've just been so pleased with what we've seen out of Sinzel so far this year. It's been a, a real, real uh, breath of fresh air. Absolutely. Uh, Nick, we can't thank you enough for your time. And, uh, and, and you're here all the time every night with uh, Trace Fowler, or at least a lot of nights with Trace Fowler. So we thank you for everything here on Chatterbox and thank you for your time today. Have a good day. Thanks, Tom. All right. Nick Kirby, kind enough to join us. He is completely dialed in uh, on the Reds, makes some great points. Um, and we love having him uh, join the program. You know, the Sinzel thing's an interesting thing, and I know, Casey, you're new to baseball, but I, I really find this now intriguing. He's not going to hit three home runs every week. We know that, okay? National League player, that's not going to happen every week. But he is playing really well right now, and he's healthy. Um, he uh, is a much more mature young man. He's a father now. Uh, and all those kinds of things. And that will certainly change you for the better. Um, if you're all in on being a dad, and he's all in on being a dad. Um, and, you know, he's still young enough where he could tease you a little bit, right? Where, you know, you want to keep him around, but then you, you kind of get to a point where you're reaching arbitration with him. And do you really want to pay a guy like Nick Senzel two and a half, three and a half million dollars? No, you don't. Uh, but if he walks away, Paul, and, 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 and all of a sudden he's finally gotten his act together, by the grace of God, he can stay healthy, right? He leaves and he goes to become a really good player somewhere else. I could see that happening when Nixon's out. Yeah, it kind of feels like that's a, that, that could potentially be something where a, a situation arises where that could happen. And you hate to see something like that happen because – Look at all these guys that the Reds have, have traded away or have released. If you look at, uh, you know, through the years, whether it be 
Castellanos or whether it be Luis Castillo or Suarez or Jesse Winker, all these guys, you look through some of their careers, and by and large, I think the Reds have made the right decision with a lot of these guys. I know Castellanos, for the, once they've figured out what he was doing defensively, he's obviously been a lot more productive. But if you look, for the most part, you know, Sonny Gray, a lot of these guys that Amir Garrett, I mean, I don't think it's the wrong thing to say that the Reds have made the right decision with a handful of these guys. But then you have the question of Nick Senzel, who's just had such a roller coaster of a career. Yep. And if he was to go somewhere else and prosper, I think that would be a real dagger to the Reds, to Reds fans, to know the kind of potential that he had, the hype that he had coming up to the Reds, and then to see that be actual or to see that be realized somewhere else, that'd be a tough one to swallow. I never understood the Sonny Gray deal. I didn't get that one because you were getting the guy for $10 million a year. Uh, and he's a good leader in that clubhouse. And, and you were bringing up a bunch of young pitchers last year. I didn't understand that deal. The Castillo deal, look, they don't want to give him four years, $100 million, or you know, five years, $100 million, whatever. That's their call. That's their money. It's not my money. Uh, I, can, I can understand that one. But I think you're right. I think by and large, uh, and this is where – you know, John Sherholtz used to say all the time, the long time, general manager of the Atlanta Braves. He used to say this all the time. Uh, and I used to love talking to the guy. I might reach out to try and get him on the show sometime because he is really on it. Um, he used to say, you better know your organization better than another team knows your organization. And what he meant by that is exactly what you're saying is that you've got to know when. If you're not going to be a team, and Tampa Bay is a perfect example, the Braves were a perfect example of this. I mean, they really were forever when Sherholtz was running the show, right? They let Jason Hayward walk out the door. And a lot of people felt like Hayward was going to be this big superstar. And the Cubs were the only team out there that was going to throw nearly $100 million at this guy to bring him in. It's been a terrible sign. Terrible. Was a terrible sign. And the Braves knew when to let him go. Kent Merker. Now, Jason Schmidt was the one guy they missed on. Schmidt was the number five guy for a while after Merker behind Glavin and Maddox and Smoltz and those guys. He went on to be a great pitcher with the Giants. But most of the time, they never made a mistake on their own guys on when it was time to move them. You know, you got what you got out of them. You're sitting in a room with a bunch of other evaluators and you're going, you know what, we, we just got the best we're going to see out of this guy. And now is the time to move him. And sometimes, in the Braves case, I was just using the illustration of a number five starter in the rotation. You knew you had Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. So, I mean, you weren't losing sleep who the number five guy was, but you always want to maximize your value. Nick Kirby touched on that. He said that he doesn't think the Reds would trade Jonathan India. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. And it should be noted, they shouldn't be afraid to trade him if the right deal came along. Stevenson, for that matter, too. There are zero untouchables outside of Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft for me on this roster. If you get the best, you got one great year out of India, and then you got a terrible year out of India. I don't know what India is. Neither do you. But we're not getting paid to know what India is, right? 
we're just being fans. And I'm just using his name as an example. But if all of a sudden, you know, you see him do a lot of this, and we've seen it already, or he gets some big hits for you, I give him that. He's a good leader. I think he's good down there in that clubhouse. Um, but look, you got to be able to know when to pull the trigger on certain guys and not be afraid to do it and not be worried about what fan reaction is going to be. And that's why I think Nick Crawl, I'm a fan of Nick Crawl. Some of you out there might not be. I'm a fan of the guy. I think he knows what he's doing. And I only go by that, yes, I was around him a little bit. I know him a little bit. I don't know him well. I like him, what I do know of him. But when I hear guys that I knew in baseball in my 31, 32 years announcing in baseball and scouts from other teams and general managers from other teams, when Nick Crawl got that job to become the general manager of the Cincinnati Reds and people whose opinions I value through the roof, every one of them said, that is the right guy for this job. He knows what he's doing. He's worked on every single level in different facet, scouting, player development. He knows what he's doing. And I agree with him. And so, you know, look, he's going to have to, to make some tough calls. He's in a tough spot because of the payroll. Right? right? Managers are like general managers. You know, it's all about W and L. W and L. Or in soccer, draws. You know what they're called? Draws? Draws. Yeah. Yeah. How about 43,000 people in San Diego last night on a Tuesday night in May? I've always said it was one of the greatest baseball markets out there, but their team was so bad for so long. And I mean really bad. And they went through all this stuff that the Reds are going through now where they weren't spending any money. But, man, I was there 98 I was doing Fox games there regularly. And you'd roll in there on a Saturday to old Jack Murphy Stadium when they were good. And they had Caminiti and Nevin and Steve Finley and Tony Gwynn and, and Trevor. Uh, why am I drawing a blank? Former Red, the closer. Um, gosh, it sucks oh, oh. getting old. The, uh, All-time yes. leader. He, he came out to Hell's Bells. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Come on. Somebody don't in the chat helped me. Tell I can't he, he would walk Hoffman, out to help Trevor Hoffman. Trevor, Hoff- Dad, Trevor Hoffman used to was, come out. and say Trevor Immelman. That's a golfer. And I mean, it was unbelievable how into a good baseball team in San Diego those fans are. And, um, and they have reason to be into it because they, 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 got, a, they got a good team. They're, they're, they're underperforming this year. Uh, but uh, they've got a good team. And the crowd lights out. Lights out. All right, do we are we moving to football? Yeah. Uh, if if James is ready, then we're moving to football. All right, we're ready. Wait. Go ahead. Well, it looks to me like on on, on the the, the wow. off air screen, he's sitting wow. there. Are we ready for an introduction? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're doing the introduction. Okay, here it is. Go, go, James Rapine! Go, go, James Rapine! 
go, go, James Rapine, you Sports Illustrated beat reporter. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, morph- it's morphing time, Tom. James, that is a big league intro. I mean, you you get asked to do shows all the time from coast to coast. <laughs> and, I mean, there can't be anywhere besides here on Off the Bench and Chatterbox Sports where you get that kind of intro. That's fair. I, I've never, never had an intro like that anywhere else. There's no doubt. Who did that, by the way? Was that Reed Mouse singing that? It's a Reed yeah. Mouse special. Reed Mouse special. Oh, my God, is that good. I mean, they, they, they got it going on there. And they, you, Do you like it, though? I mean, it's one thing where it's the best intro, but do you like it? Are you okay with it? Did anybody sure, ask you absolutely. if you're okay with it? Yeah, but, yeah, I'm absolutely okay with it. Like the creativity and big Power Rangers fan, if you can't tell. Okay. All right, we can tell. And everybody in the chat is always asking about it. All right, the big, I guess the big breaking news before we get to the draft and everything else going on. Uh, looks as like Brandon Allen's walking out the door. What are your thoughts? <laughs> not shocked. Certainly not shocked. Uh, when th- They've kind of courted a bunch of different quarterbacks from guys in the draft. You know, O'Connell. I know they brought in Aiden O'Connell from Purdue for a pre-draft visit. Dorian Thompson-Robinson out of UCLA for a pre-draft visit. There were rumblings in, in Dallas about them sort of making a run at Cooper Rush. I haven't confirmed them, but I think it's interesting. And obviously he re-signed with Dallas. And then they brought Trevor Simeon in for a visit as well. And he's a veteran that has ties to Brian Callahan. So I think they've they've been looking at backup quarterback. I think there are a lot of paths where if you redo the 2023 draft, they end up with one of them. They just went much earlier than I think anybody anticipated. So we'll see who they sign. I would expect them to add a veteran to, to compete with Jake Browning for that backup job. Um, when, when you, you, you're now a number of days removed from the NFL draft, uh, and everybody out there and his brother is going to give a grade to this team or a grade to that team. Nobody sees the Bengals more than you do. Mm-hmm. What's your overall impression of how this draft class shakes out? It's interesting because I think they did a good job. And, and I also think if you played the, the draft and replayed it 10 times, they would get a different result almost every time. Like, I, I wonder how many mocks that they did internally had Miles Murphy making it to 28. Uh, I wonder how many of them, uh, the mocks, had them completely passing on tight end. But that's just how the board went. And, and so when you look at it, what have the Bengals done? Well, they've bolstered their depth on offense and defense. They've gotten much, much faster, which after free agency – when they lose Samaj P. Ryan and tight end wise, it, it certainly becomes a question mark. You lose Hayden Hurst, you bring in Irv Smith Jr. We know his injury history. I think the the discussion, and I, I'm at fault for this, kind of came off of the the impression or the thought I had going into the combine. And I remember asking Zach Taylor, especially reflecting on their playoff run and the AFC championship game, speed. Wanting to get faster, not just on defense, but on offense. And they did that, and they waited till the fourth and fifth round to do it, but I, they were able to do it. So I think they're more athletic at, at corner, certainly on the defensive line, and then you feel really good about who they were add, uh, able to add. I think Charlie Jones and Chase Brown are going to be pretty significant contributors right away. Okay, l- l- let's go position by position for a minute here, please, James Rapine, and thank you for your time. Um, it seems to me that um, – 
you know, the, the, there's the, there are going to be some guys in his class that clearly are going to contribute to at what extent we'll see Murphy with a chance to make a huge contribution. Who knows? Maybe they all do. But is it safe to say by waiting until they get Brown later in the in the draft? Is it safe to say that Zach Taylor in his comments the other day saying Mixon's a starting running back that that's pretty much a tip of the hand that they've already got something worked out with him before we even hit June. No, I don't necessarily okay. think so. Right. I, 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 I don't know. I, and I, I, I think it's interesting. The whole Mixon discussion is interesting right now. Obviously he has, has the off the field stuff. I haven't seen exactly what happened in court today. I know he was due back in court and maybe nothing. Maybe it's pushed it to a later date and that continues to go on. But from a, an on-field perspective, I do think he's the favorite to be the starter, and, and that's, that's what you can take away from the draft. But is there a scenario where they want him to still take a pay cut and he doesn't want to? Absolutely, I think there is. And uh, while discussions might have already happened, I don't know if anything has been finalized even internally. Okay, by the way, for those wondering, a judge has set the next court date for Joe Mixon. That was after a hearing early this morning. The uh, next court date is set for uh, May 15th. The judge said the case will have a full resolution by October. I don't know if that's somewhat of a surprise, but uh, that would mean virtually, not virtually, it would mean entirely that uh, if they bring him back, he's going through training camp and the first nearly two months of the season or month of the season uh, before there's any resolution on this entire thing. When you look at, let's assume Mixon is back, Brown is there. Okay. One of the big knocks was on Mixon is that he wasn't good in pass protection. Um, Do they feel like, A, he could get better at that if he wants to get better at it? B, is Brown any good at it? And C, do they need to go find another running back who is good at it? Because that seems like all we talked about at times last year. I think right now their their third down back is Travion Williams. The season started tomorrow. They would trust him in pass protection. Joe Mixon, I could say, yeah, he's going to get better at it. We have too, too big of a sample size. He was drafted in 2017. I think they know what he is. He knows what he is. And not that he's a bad blocker. Pass protection doesn't mean physically being able to block. It's completely different. There's just being able to read the defense and see exactly where the blitz is coming from. And if this linebacker, this defender, I mean, there's a lot to it mentally. And that doesn't mean that Joe Mixon can't do it some of the time, but but obviously he was behind Samaj P. Ryan in the pecking order there. So can he do it a little bit more this year? Maybe. You know, I think that could be realistic. Is he going to be their every down back where he's on the field 75% of the time because they really trust him in, in all passing situations. No, I, I think it would be Travion Williams today. Chase Brown, it's tough. It's tough to evaluate college running backs in pass protection. And did he do it a little bit at, at Illinois? Yes. It, it, did he play a ton of snaps at Illinois? Yes. Does it feel like he will, he'll be able to pick it up? I think so. I think the coaching staff is confident in that. But it's still a lot to ask from a rookie. So we'll see if he can slide in there. But that dynamic is interesting because I think Chase Brown is is a really good runner. I think he gives you something in the passing game, and he's a high-end athlete. And so how does he mix in with it? Do they feel like you asked? If they the need to add a proven veteran, there are some, still some veterans out there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why I haven't ruled out the idea of if Mixon pushes back on a pay cut, which I still think they're going to ask, 
then maybe they say, okay, well, we're not bringing you back at this number. And that's that. At the same time, could I see them bringing him back at that number, a 10 plus million dollar salary, a cap hit of over 12 million? I could. I think that they would make a face as they do it. But the, the path now to that happening, I think, is more likely than it was a few weeks ago. Okay. The other thing, and 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 you uh, were not necessarily in agreement with me on the, on the last statement. I'm curious uh, how you feel about this one. By them not going out and getting an offensive lineman. And again, I mean, if there's any topic we've talked about ad nauseum beyond description, it's the <laughs> offensive line and hit with the injuries once they got to the playoffs last year. Lyle Collins, uh, you know, declaring that he's going to be ready to go. We'll see. I hope he's right. Um, but by them not drafting a tackle, uh, and they had, you know, they had a couple of situations there where they certainly could have. Does it say to you that 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 Williams is going to be all in on the move, or if it's not Williams, they certainly like the idea of Carmen maybe being there until Collins comes back? That they just feel very good about their depth and their talent level at right tackle. I think all signs point to Jonah. And, and it's so interesting. You talk about Joe and then you go to Jonah and they're kind of grouped together, but the situations are just so much different because one has a fully guaranteed contract. And that's why you only saw, by the way, 12 members of the first round in the 2020 class get their fifth year options picked up. And that's going to continue because it's fully guaranteed. And that is a risk. If you have any questions about a player, why would you want to guarantee a fifth year? And, and the Bengals did it last year. And I, I think... Looking back, would they do it again? Maybe, but it, it, it's certainly much tougher now. And, and they probably, if they knew that Jonah was going to deal with the injuries that he dealt with in, in 2022, then they wouldn't have. But who knows that? You don't have a crystal ball. So, no, I expect him to, to start at right tackle. I expect him to be the right tackle. Not that the Bengals will crown him right away, but he has no choice. His money is guaranteed. And he can't leave that on the table. It's not guaranteed if he doesn't show up. So he's got to show up. He's got to play. And he's in a contract year where he can go out and make really good money and show the league that he can be a high-end right tackle. And I don't know if he's going to be that, but I expect him to be a solid right tackle, which is better than what they've had. Lyle Collins showed flashes of it last year, but he was dealing with multiple injuries. Jackson Carmen is certainly maturing, it appears. And so I think he would be the favorite for the swing tackle spot where he can back up Orlando Brown Jr., back up Jonah Williams if Jonah Williams gets injured again, which he has a history of doing, and be that guy that kind of stabilizes both tackle spots. So I think the Bengals feel good about their depth of tackle. There were some paths, I think, to them taking an offensive tackle in the draft. It just didn't fall to them. And I, I think they deserve credit for that, not reaching at the next best tackle at 28, which – you know, I think a lot of people wanted them to take a tackle there or take Dewan Jones, even though there were plenty of red flags where they didn't want to necessarily reach on a player like that. In the past, they might have taken Jones at, say, pick 60, even though there were some uh, character concerns and work ethic and does he love football and weight concerns, all of those things. And instead, they stuck with their board. So I think they deserve credit for that. Okay. Uh, the, the last thing I want to ask you a little bit about um... – the, the, the two receivers they took, clearly the kid from Purdue. I mean, it's Purdue, it's big time, it's all those kinds of things, right? A great athlete. I Look, I know it's a late-round pick, and, and the chances are probably not all that great, but there's a lot to be said about the kid from Princeton. I mean, mm -hmm. this strikes me as one of these kind of kids where 
He's coming in with an attitude. I mean, he's already said there. His quote was something along the lines of there are a lot of dudes out there that are getting a lot more pub than me. And I'm better than a lot of them. Uh, I love the coach he played for there at Princeton and Bob Serace, a former um, coach for the Bengals there. Uh, obviously, he's gotten good coaching in college. What, what are you hearing about him? They, they loved him. They loved him during the pre-draft process. Wide receivers coach Troy Walters took him to, uh, you know, out to a steak dinner. He spent a, a couple days, maybe not full days, but uh, overnight here in Cincinnati and, and was one of their top 30 visits. And there's a lot to love. I mean, it, it, in the sixth round, and I've written this, in the sixth round, usually you're getting production, but not the high-end athleticism. Or you're taking a chance on a guy that didn't really produce, but has that high-end athleticism. And he's done both. It was just at the level that he played at. You know, he played in the Ivy League. He didn't face a bunch of NFL competition. He didn't face certain coverages and press coverage and different things that these NFL cornerbacks are going to, to throw at him. And then obviously he just ran a few routes. He's going to have to get used to a full NFL route tree, but there's a lot to like. And you mentioned it. I, I think he plays uh, with an attitude, but the, the thing you like the most, in a good way, by the way, the thing that you like the most is the fact that he's probably outside of Jamar Chase and maybe even with Jamar Chase, the best athlete on the team. Yeah. Like this dude was – you look at like the the pre-draft metrics and I, I go to uh, – at MathBomb on Twitter, Kent Lee Platt puts these together, the relative athletic scores. He was eighth in the entire draft class. It, he's just unbelievable. I mean, one of these freakazoid – athletes that produce that knows how to play football that just needs some refinement and needs to get used to the NFL level. So there's a lot to like about him. I know they were really excited about landing him in round six. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to end up keeping an eye on him uh, as much as anybody, uh, not because of necessarily what he's going to do this year, but just to see kind of where that whole thing progresses. If you take Murphy out of the mix, and maybe I shouldn't, last question, if you took Murphy out of the mix, which of the uh, draft picks – gets the most playing time and potentially has the most impact on this team in 2023. Real, and, and I will answer it, but one thing on Yosivash that I would throw out there, why not try him on kickoff returns? No doubt about it. Elite athlete, 6'2". Six, six guys that are taller than him return kicks. Let, let's, uh, let's see if he can return kicks. I would put him back there and, and let Darren Simmons work with him, even though he's never done it before. That said... And maybe you could throw in Miles Murphy. Obviously, he's going to to impact the pass rush and, and give Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard breathers at times. So he's valuable. Not downgrading that at all. I love the DJ Turner pick. Haven't really talked about him much. I think he gives you depth and is eventually going to start high-end athlete. But the guy that's going to make the biggest impact, to me, is the guy that impacts the, the most important part of the franchise, which is Joe Burrow. And who does that, Tom? You briefly mentioned him. It's the guy that ran a full route tree at Purdue. Charlie Jones yep. is going to be Joe Burrow's best friend. I think he has the ability to come in right away. He's an older prospect. He's mature and produced 110 catches last year, 1,300-plus yards, 12 touchdowns, played outside receiver at Purdue. So he faced these high-end corners, Joey Porter Jr. He faced DJ Turner. He faced these guys, and he beat them, had, had success against them. And it's because he's such a great route runner but he's also really athletic. And that's the part where you didn't know just watching him, how he would be. He ran a 4-4-3. And all of the agility testing is there as well, you know, three cone and, and, and all of that. So I, I think he's 
He's going to be Joe Burrow's best friend in a few years. This year, he's going to be their fourth receiver and should contribute on offense right away. The other thing he does is he gives you an electric return man as a punt returner. You don't necessarily need to put him on kickoffs, and maybe he does return kickoffs. But as a punt returner, I think he gives you some electricity back there and uh, has a chance to hit a home run anytime he touches the ball. So really good returner. Did that for years in the Big Ten. And then last year, he showed the world what he could do as a receiver. So I, I think he's going to be a big part of this team. I know he's older, and uh, he's a fourth-round pick. You know, 130 guys went ahead of him, but I think he's going to have an impact. And that's why I'd like to see this year. If they're confident enough in their offensive line, and of course, situations dictate what you do in your formations, I, I would not be surprised to see the Bengals start implementing a little bit more uh, going four wide and spreading the field wide open. I, I mean, you agree with that? Yeah. I, I do, and for a few reasons. One, because of everything I said about Charlie Jones and we know about the big three. But the other part of this, tight end is a bit of a question mark. And so maybe you still run your offense with Irv Smith Jr. and Drew Sample. But let's say Irv Smith gets dinged up. You're not going to throw to Drew Sample a bunch. So you adjust, and maybe you go with four wide receivers some weeks. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that opens up that possibility. And the other thing it does, and I hate to bring this up, but on third and eight, when you're playing the Chiefs and you need a first down, you have another guy that can get open against man-to-man coverage because Hayden Hurst didn't get open on that third and eight and uh, Trent Irwin didn't get open on that third and eight. And the game really changed when Tyler Boyd went down. Yep, there's no doubt. That's a great, great point there. James Rapine covers the Bengals for Sports Illustrated's AllBengals.com. Also, uh, one half of Locked On Bengals podcast. Mr. Rapine, we thank you so much. And even though we're saying goodbye, fellas, we have to run that one more time as we say goodbye to James Rapine. Casey, can you pull it up? <laughs> yep, here we go. All right, one more time. <laughs> this, is that, this is that good. All right. Go, go, James Rapine! <laughs> Go, go, James Rapine! Go, go, James Rapine! You Sports Illustrated beat reporter! You would think, Tom, that I would have the nerve to open these things, but I, I still have not opened them. So, there you go. That's great stuff. James, we always thank you for your expertise, <laughs> my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Take care. All right. Have a good day. James Rapine liked to have a little fun with that. That's Big League. Who edited that? Did you guys do that? I think that was no. all Reed. It was all, it was Reed. all Reed. So, so Reed Mouse actually sat in front of a microphone and recorded himself singing Go, Go, James Rapine. Yeah. yeah. I, I walked out of the room one day, and then I just I was standing outside. The door was closed, and I see Reed in here, standing here next to the microphone, singing into it about the Power Rangers. It's an elite moment in Chatterbox Sports uh, uh, history, and it made it to the big screen. Yeah, he's a nut cutter. What can we say? That's right. He gets it done. I still don't know. This is like, you know, with my daughter right now, okay, down at college. And here's the analogy on this deal, okay? There is something going on between her and two of her three roommates. I don't know what it is. I can't get the real story. But all of a sudden, the relationship, like with many 19-year-old young women, stuff tends to be a lot of drama and stuff goes south, okay? And you try to get the real story and, eh, no, a thousand miles away, you ain't getting it over the phone, okay? Mm. The analogy I'm drawing, although a bit of a reach, is 
What is a real story on the playerly, player formerly known as Mouse Cop and Reed Mouse? Nothing. It is a never-ending string of the player formerly known as Mouse Cop demanding that, that Reed Mouse get fired all the time. They there is something there. There's something there. There's, there, there is a there there. I mean, you know, we asked Reed about it the other day. He said, no, there's not. Um, we haven't had a chance to hear. I mean, I, I'm laying it out there for, for the playerly form as Mouse Cop right now. What's the deal? You know, I, something I've noticed, too, is that there's two factions in our chat. There's the Fire Reed group, and then there's the Not Fire Reed group. I know. People. People are very split. <laughs> Yeah, Reed and Reed and Mousecop don't know each other personally. I know that. I know I know who Mousecop is. Reed knows who Mousecop is. I've never met Mousecop in person though, but I know who he is. He just jumped in. He says, "Tom, I'm just here to set the truth free." The truth. The truth. You're we'll all about the you, truth. We'll set you free. So, I don't know. All right, Casey, that interview for you. You're a big Bengals guy. Yeah. Right? We're all big Bengals guys. I'm a big Bengals guy. Um, what stands out? What did you like that you heard from James Rapine? Or what didn't you like? I mean, I, I'll say what I said when, the, when we recapped the draft and what I thought about the Bengals at that point. And it just felt like there was some needs that maybe the Bengals fans didn't quite see like receiver depth, like getting a guy at edge that can really help with that rotation, getting a second or a third corner. You know, you're not having to rely on Eli Apple anymore. All I, all in all, I really like the direction they're going. The more and more I look at the draft, it's just the people that were there available to them, right? They were the best available, and they stuck to their guns. And not only did it help fill in some needs – or not only was it BPA, it helped fill in some needs along the way. And so I know a lot of people are somewhat scared about the depth at tight end, but what is the difference between Hayden Hurst and Irv Smith Jr.? I mean, what, what, what is the difference? I don't feel like there's that much of a gap between the two of them. Well, I think one's a better athlete. Who would that be? That would be Smith. I think Smith's a better athlete. Right. And, and then if we're really going to sit here and argue about 60 pass blocking attempts from Samaj P. Ryan as a pass blocker. They're going to find another way to supplement those 60 pass blocking attempts, right? They're going to either add in Drew Sample and, and maybe they'll, they'll, they'll have Drew Sample be the guy that sticks around and they'll put in Chase or Chase Brown. Yeah, Chase Brown to go run routes or something. I don't know. It's just this team on offense, it's improved. From what it was last year, they've got pretty much the exact same offensive line plus Orlando Brown Jr. They've got better at receiver. It's pretty much the same at tight end. And if we're really thinking that they're worse because of Samaje being gone, I don't know. I can't get behind that. Defensively, I think they addressed enough of their Wait needs. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just want to make sure I heard what you just said. Yeah. You mean to tell me that of the guys they have in the room right now, and we don't know anything about Brown. Right. We don't know. 
We know what he did at college. We know he's a workhorse kind of a running back. I mean, Brett Bielema there in Illinois since taking it over. Uh, you know, and that's why I think, James, he didn't say it. But, look, trying to find video of Brown pass blocking at Illinois has to be damn near impossible because all they did was run the ball to Brown. That's all they did was turn around and hand it off because that's who Brett Bielema is. He was at Wisconsin. He was at Arkansas. He is at Illinois. Um, and so, but, so I'm going to take Brown out of the mix. But you know you got Mix in there and then your guys back there, Williams and Evans. Yeah. You just said you don't think that, that it's a big hit losing p Rock. Did I hear you right? No, not nearly as much as what people are making it out to be. I mean, we're arguing over 60 snaps out of the 1,200 snaps that they had all last season. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, okay. I, I just I can't get behind that. You know, there's going to be another guy that can step up. You know, I just okay. – for 60 snaps, Fair I enough. think there's a guy that can step up. And then on defense, whether we like, like it or not, it you know – Lou Anaruma said it was his darkest day if they lost both Bates and Bell. Yep. But I think they did enough, right? I think they planned for it last year for Bates' eventual departure. They went out and got Jordan Battle, who comps very closely to Von Bell. Nick Scott can play both sides. I really like Tyson Anderson. They got him in the fifth round last year. That's an unknown that we don't know much about. Fair enough. And then... You know, the, the, the older guy, Michael Thomas, really liked him He's a as solid a veteran, special teams leader. Right. Yeah. I mean, a, a guy you want in, in, on your team if you can keep him around. Yeah. And then everyone else is the same. Everyone in the front seven is the same. You still got the same linebacker core, still got the same defensive line. It just all that got improved. I'm Before I was saying maybe they're about the same, but Tom, I really just think that they're better. I really do think that this team is much better than it was, you know, a couple months ago in February or in, in January, at the end of January. I just – the team didn't lose enough, in my opinion, and they to, – to, to say that they're worse. They, they only added more and more depth to certain positions, and they addressed their needs. They're not but worse. They're, yeah. They're, they're not, not worse. worse. They're not worse. Maybe yet to be determined if they are better, but they are not worse. They're not worse. But I know the other guy wouldn't even talk about who, who, I mean, if you want to talk about of all the draft picks they have, the guy that has a chance, and I'm surprised James did not say this. In my opinion, the guy that has the best chance to at least compete for a starting job is the punter. Oh, I think he's got the job, if you ask me. Well, I don't know about that. I, I mean, I think a lot of people went south on Drew Chrisman. I think it's way too early. I mean, this was a town, and God bless Kevin Huber. He had a phenomenal career here. I mean, that lasted far longer than a decade. Went to McNicholas High School. Went to UC. Great dude was a really good punter for a long time and then it tailed off near the end. I think it's, 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 it's unfair and too early to phone it in on Chrisman. If you were going to stay that long with Huber, why are you going to throw in the towel on Chrisman after not even being a full year as a starter I mean, at I mean, that position? I mean, I, 
my argument back to you then is why would they draft a punter in the sixth round when they could have just, you know, gotten an undrafted free agent and just let that battle play out. Well, but I mean, that, that's a fair point. Yeah, I think. No, six... but I think they're drafting him to create competition. I mean, look, yeah. everybody in this town was screaming and hollering when Chrisman was sitting there on the. Um, right. Right. Yeah. They were, that's the, what they the, asked the glorified for. taxi squad, right? Yeah, that's Everybody what they asked Everybody screaming for. and yelling, why is, why is Huber in there? Why is Huber? Why, why is he in there? And then they couldn't wait to get Chrisman here. And now after all of about nine or ten games, whatever it is he's, he's punted in, people are ready to run him out. I don't think the Bengals are ready to run him out of town yet. I think they want to see somebody compete with him for that job. Yeah, and I, I think, Tom, that we will see an answer. Like, I don't think that they will – keep a guy behind you know on the practice squad they're not gonna you know there there will be an answer at who's the starting punter by the end of training camp by by the time the preseason games are all finished they'll make their cuts and I think we'll have our answer on who's gonna be the starting punter I don't think we're gonna see uh a, a, another Drew Chrisman on our practice squad all season you know what I mean so I do I do think that it is heavily favored in Robinson's favor, if you ask me. Did he hold at Michigan? I'm not. I'm not certain. Okay, so this is another thing here. Somebody look that up while we're on it, if we can find that. Because, look, I mean, some of you people that are turning this into an Ohio State thing for me, look, I, I can take the ribbing uh, on some guys that I stand up for. I mean, I still think Stroud's the best quarterback in that group. It's not because he's an Ohio State guy. And this Christmas thing has nothing to do with Ohio State. Everything I just said is a fact. This team hung on to Huber too long. They had Christman waiting. Most of you were screaming for Christman to be the guy. Admit it. Okay? I don't care where he went to college. Then you put him in there. I'm still waiting for somebody in the media to ask Darren Simmons the question. Somebody. Somebody to ask him the question, what in the hell happened on the punt against Kansas City? Could you please just explain and ask it in a nice way? Coach, did you ask for a directional punt there? Did you ask for somebody to punt the ball out of bounds? Did you say that and the kicker was supposed to do it, in this case, Chrisman, and he didn't do it? If you told him to do it and he couldn't do it, I don't care where he went to college. Run his ass out of town. That was the single biggest game of the playoff game. I don't know if that's on Simmons. I don't know if that's on Chrisman. I don't know if it's on both of them combined. This is not an Ohio State thing at all. The reason they waited so long, one of the reasons for Chrisman, it was because they were worried about him holding on place kicks for McPherson, who was not as good this year as he was last year. We know that. What about this Robinson guy? I mean, Huber was a great holder. I do think he placed he place kicked, or he he was a placeholder. I'm sorry. He's a placeholder. Yeah, he was a he was a kick holder for the Wolverines. But yeah, I mean, I'd I, love I to get Darren Simmons on this show because I really like him a lot. My son played. Uh, lacrosse with his son for years and years and years his son's a great player uh, in high school here in town and uh, I really like the guy 
But uh, someone says, um, now, Richard, I don't know if this is right or not. Someone said he was asked about it after the game. I have never heard uh, that quote or read that quote anywhere. Have you? I, I don't remember. I mean, I was – I have not. And I'm not was disputing it? what you're saying, Richard. You might be right, and I may have missed it. And, uh, and look, this Michigan guy looks like he's a heck of a punter to me. I agree. I mean, so I'm all in on him going toe-to-toe to try and win that job and the best man win. End of story. Yeah. The other thing, too, Tom, just to kind of neatly put a bow around the, the Bengals conversation here, whether or not they uh, are good or not, it really just felt like the last couple years that we've been really trending towards – it went from somewhat of this balance attack to more of a passing game attack. And now this, this whole roster just feels like, all right, we're all buying into the fact that we're going to throw this ball 35, 40 times a game is what it feels like. And maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe it just takes a while for that to happen. And maybe there's certain teams that they can only do that against. But you just look at that Patriots game where – Burrow threw it for 30 times or something like that, and he was just elite that entire first half. They, they got the depth now at receiver that, like I said before, they wanted to. They could run out five receivers. They've got that type of talent that they could just put a hurting on some of these teams. Um, and if a guy gets hurt, I don't think it really they, – they're not going to lose a beat. So, you know, I, uh, I really like what they've done. Um, I think that, <laughs> I think that I want to make sure I heard you about, you want the Bengals offense to look like it looked against new England last year. And is first, that what you just said? In the first, in the first, half, oh, first half. Okay. All right. Okay. Threw the ball 52 times in the game, right? Through two touch through three interceptions and two picks. And they damn near lost the game because they couldn't score in the second half. Right, but I'm I'm just saying that first half he was like. Well, it's the first three. half, but it's a big deal. Well, then then you change big your, deal. Your, your game they plan. They played four up. quarters. Yeah, you change the your two game games plan where the Bengals threw the ball all over the field and forgot about the run game. They won one barely against New England, and they got their tails kicked against Cleveland. If this team goes into a season thinking they're going to throw the ball and go look up the numbers last year around the NFL and statistically through the years, the more times you throw it up above 35, 40, 45, 50, the more times you throw it, your chances of winning start dropping dramatically. Now, you can have a 65, 45, you can go 70, 30 split. But teams that are going 80, 20, more times than not, they're getting their butts kicked. Well, I think that's because bad teams are trying to throw themselves back into the game. That, that's what I would it, argue. It could be. But, I, that could be the case. But, but I'm just saying that they, they could potentially do something like that. I'm not saying that's what they should do, but they have the talent now at receiver to where they could just run out five receivers and just bully people because they don't have enough depth there at corner to, to stop them. So I, I like what the Bengals are doing. I think it's smart. Um, the only thing I'm worried about now is, is just keeping people healthy and what they're going to do at right tackle. Because 
you know how I was all throughout this pre-draft process, slamming my fist down for Dewan Jones. I still think that they should have taken a flyer on him in the fourth, but that would have required them to have traded up and whatnot. Regardless of that situation, I'm not, I'm not sold that Jonah Williams can, can play right tackle. Not one bit. He hasn't played it that position in seven plus years. He, in my opinion, when you needed him the most, failed at left tackle. He's not built like a tackle at all. And usually your right tackle is a guy that can maul people, at least traditionally. He's your running type guy that can really move some people because you want to run to your right side, the side that your running backs, you know, able to hold the ball on his right arm if he's right-handed. Anyways, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but I'm just not sold okay, on it. It seems okay. like you already I'm not, are. I'm not well, sold what, with Dolan, Joe, I, Joe I, I, I have a I have a question to ask you here, okay? Yeah. Do you trust the decision makers on the coaching staff of this Bengals team? Do you trust Zach Taylor? I trust Zach Taylor. Okay, do you trust uh, Brian Callahan? I trust Brian. How about Frank Pollock? That's where you lose me. I'm not, I'm not sold on Frank Pollock. Okay. All right, well, uh, but the guys who ultimately make the decision is Zach Taylor, right? Yeah. Okay. So I only ask that question because if, if clearly they are confident enough that Williams can play right tackle and that he's all in, to try and play that position and win a Super Bowl. Why are, are you reluctant, well, clearly you're reluctant, to give them the benefit of the doubt? We talk about trust on this program a lot. Well, I, I gave... Do you trust those guys that, that they're making the right call on Williams? I gave Jonah Williams all the trust in the world, and then he failed me multiple times last season. Okay. So I, that's, that, it's not really a... The Bengals were going to be stuck with Jonah Williams, and I, I'm done talking about Dwan Jones, guys. I, I, I am seriously done. <laughs> they could have picked any right tackle after the first couple rounds, and I would have been like, okay, well, maybe that guy can do something. But the fact that they feel comfortable with who they have on the roster concerns me because I don't feel like those guys are who you should be running out there as starters to begin with. Like, I don't, I don't feel well, like... Lyle Collins is a legitimate starter. He's a legitimate starter, but he didn't play very well last year, at least in terms of pass blocking. But he got better as he, the year got, went on. I, I get that. And he played I'm, hurt. Yeah, he played hurt. Okay. I'm just saying that from what... Jonah played me, hurt. I understand. I understand. I understand all that, right? I get it. I get that they played hurt. That's something they can't control, but that's... They, they had a choice, and they decided to run out there and play hurt, Tom. They decided that it was more important that they're out there on the field because the people behind them are even worse at right tackle, right? And if that's the case, you know, Jonah Williams is, is injury prone. Whether we like to say he is or not, he was hurt pretty much his whole rookie season. He got hurt last year a lot. I don't know. I just – it concerns me. It really does. That's the only spot on this team where I feel uncertain about. And it's just because of my evaluation of the player. Other people don't seem to think that him making critical mistakes when it matters most matters because the other 95, 99% of the time, he's pretty solid. But I like a guy who's clutch, Tom. 
that's what I care about the most. Um, and to me, there's no one on the on that roster right now. Let, right me, let, me, let me ask you this: since you yeah. use the word clutch, okay, and I listen to you, Casey. These are the things I say to my wife all the time. I'm listening. Yeah, I'm not hearing. I'm listening. Could you make the case that Jackson Carmen was clutch last year? In a fill-in role last year? I mean, When I, he got a chance to start at a position he played in college, which he had never been able to play in the pros. Yeah. Okay? He had been beaten down much to his own demise. Okay? Because he was out of shape. He didn't play well when he was given the starting job at guard. He ended up losing his job at guard. But when guys start dropping at the end of the year, right? Collins, Jonah, okay? They put Carmen in, in the biggest games of the season. Buffalo, Kansas City. Top two teams in the AFC along with yourselves, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you... Couldn't you make an argument that Jackson Carmen was clutch? Limited time, small sample size, albeit. But by all grades, that dude in those two games played pretty doggone well. I don't know, Tom. I don't know if I would consider him clutch. I mean, he, he played serviceable in those games. I don't know if that if that's what we want to consider clutch. Um uh, what it really boils down to for me, and most people are probably not thinking like the way I do, I want the best I can possibly get at a certain given moment, right? I want the nice new thing. I want whatever in life, right? You better not let your bride-to-be hear that. In terms of in terms of The next football, new thing. It's one out month, there for every uh, married man, 20-plus years. <laughs> but I just... The, yes. Jonah Williams is old, and he, he, he's failed me multiple times. Why am I giving him a, a fourth chance? Why am I giving Lael Collins a second chance? Why am I giving these guys thirds and fourth chances? When Jackson Carmen, I mean, he played well in the playoff game, but it's not something you can just – I out of everyone at the right tackle spot, I want Jackson Carmen to start because he's still an unknown to me at tackle. I hear you. I don't I'm, I'm with you there. I'm done with Jonah Williams. I, Like I said before, I thought we should have traded him for a seventh round just so we could get the money back. So I just hope that when we get to training camp that Jackson Carmen can beat out Jonah Williams. I really hope because then I'll know for sure that. You don't think there's any way on God's earth they are going to bench a $12.5 million player, do you? Well, they, they'll trade him if that does happen. Okay. They'll, they'll trade him for something, but. I don't I, think they're going to trade him just to trade him early on in training camp. I mean, if they went to camp this year, and, and, I, and I, you know, I'd like to know the answer to this question. Are they, and let's just take Collins out of the mix for a minute because him being fully ready to go, you probably don't want to push that because, you know, one, physically you don't want to do it. Two, you want to have him when he does come back completely healthy, ready to go, um, even if it means as a backup. You want Lyle Collins ready to go, okay? So let's take him out. 
I'd, I'd really be interested to know if the Bengals are going to go into training camp and say to Jackson Carmen and Jonah Williams, boys, here's a deal. Um, I know one of you is making nearly $13 million and the other is not making anywhere in that same galaxy, but this is a straight-up competition at right tackle. Okay, now take it a step further. Last year, if you recall, I was highly critical of Zach Taylor for not playing his revamped brand-new offensive line a single snap during the preseason. Right? Right. Well, they all look great in practice until the Rams came to town for that two-day scrimmage. And that's when Lyle Collins was getting worn out by the Rams. In fact, you may remember a fight broke out. Right? Yep. Okay. One, do you think the Bengals would make that an open competition? Because if there's anybody out there ready on this roster that I think, and Casey, if I hear you right the same, that I think is capable of making an enormous jump in his career, it is Jackson Carmen. It is time to put up or shut up. He's been blessed with everything you could God ask him to give you, physically, right? right. Okay. One, are they going to go to camp and have a legitimate open competition on this deal? And if they do, will you be able to make a decision on who's the better player by just watching them in practice? If you decide not to play them again in preseason games. I mean, that can't happen if you ask me. I think, I think if you ask me, Taylor learned his lesson on that whole front. He, I, I hope he did at least. They got to at least play one game. I know? don't know. They're, they're, you know I, I've or, not heard him say that, that he learned that lesson, and he may feel like there wasn't a lesson there to be learned, that those guys just had bad games against really good competition, which you can make that case in the Steelers and the Cowboys. Well, I don't know, Tom. I, uh, I just hope that whatever the decision is, that Jonah Williams is not the answer because that is a weak link. He just is. He's a weak link on this team. So okay. I uh, would love it if it was Jackson Carmen. If it's LC he, and he plays well, I mean, that would be an awesome recovery time for that sort of injury. But I just – I can't see that happening. And uh, – yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's Carmen versus Jonah, and if I'm going to have it my way, I'd have Carmen there because I know what Jonah provides, and it's just not good enough for me. Not good enough. I'd rather take a, a boom or bust type of chance than a guy that's going to fail me when it matters most. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm on board as saying that Carmen's going to win that job if he gets a chance. But we'll see. And I don't know Jackson Carmen. I don't know him. Uh, it was pointed out in the chat. How do you expect him to go out and, and win the starting job at uh, right tackle when he couldn't beat out a rookie for left guard? That's a legitimate point. But I think you're seeing a different Carmen now. I think that this young man is growing up. All the attributes physically to be an outstanding right tackle. Um, 
I tell you, it's a really nice problem to have if you stop and think about it. Because at the end of the day, even though I know you're down on Jonah, to know that you have Jonah Williams, Jackson Carmen, and Lyell Collins, I would venture to say there is not another team in the NFL, and I would, I'd bet the ranch on this one, there's not another team in the NFL that wouldn't take those three stacked up from a depth standpoint than any team in the league at that position. Chad says, do people forget how bad this city wanted Collins? Following him around like OJ's Bronco. Chad, I'm a Collins fan. So I was one of those guys that wanted Collins. I'm not going to be ashamed to admit that. It was an enormous upgrade over anything they had had at that position in recent memory. So I'm not going to say they shouldn't have gone and gotten Collins. He hurt his back, then he blew out his knee. But after about those first three, four, five games, he may not have been great, but he was solid, and he was a hell of a lot better than they've had in a long time. So, hey, uh, I wanted him here. A lot of people wanted him here. All right, anything before we get out of here, fellas? We have a big meeting with our friends at Pawnee today, which, by the way, we have up here every single day. They're right across the street, okay? This is an American company. This is an Ohio company, right? And their processing is very different than most of the other brands out there. In fact, virtually every one of them. Casey's mother even did a test on this water. It's a healthy alkaline water. It's the best tasting water in the world. Please visit their website. It's Pani, P-A-H-H-N-I, P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Anything on your mind, fellas? We, we, we only had a little bit of what we have here. What does this say? Um, Carmen looks and sounds much more mature. He got a taste of what it's like to start and wants to keep it now. I think he's got it, and he'll get it. I agree. I agree. So thank you for that very much. Ty Kendall. Is that a new member of the chat? I haven't seen Ty. Yeah. I have not seen that before. So he came right in and started throwing some money around. Love it. Tom, Casey is one month away from getting married today. One month one from month away. today. If You know, it really does, thinking back on how long we've been doing this now, the first show was September 1st. It was? Yeah. First, our first show was September 1st. That was the debut episode of Off the Bench. Okay. It feels like forever ago. We've been through the Bengals season. We've been through a college basketball season. We've started a base. We've ended and started a baseball season. There's a lot that's gone on with this wedding, and now we're one month away. <laughs> everything yeah, right everything good? I mean, like, I know we joke about it with Tracy. I know we spend some time. We joke about it with Tracy. We do the whole thing. Is everything good? Everything, everything good with it? Seriously? Yeah. Good. How far in advance did you propose? Um, Seven years ago? No. No. We, so I proposed. Paul, in essence, has done that. You proposed when? I think it was, <laughs> I think it was I October <laughs> of 2021. I believe that's when I proposed was October of 2021. So it's it's been a couple of October years. October of 2021. 
year and a half. Year and a half. Yeah. We planned. We've been planning this for over a year and a half. It was. It was sixteen or seventeen months of planning for this wedding. That's what I wanted to say. Just do a little check. Make yeah. sure everybody was good. Yeah, Had we're, a couple we're all, minutes here, and we're all good there. We're we're. Um, the last couple bits of things that need to be taken care of are being taken care of. What are the big lingering issues out there right now, a month out, if I may ask? Um, Alexandria may join us. I don't know. Maybe she'll chime in. But, but from your standpoint, and you probably have nothing to do with much of anything. But I mean, I, so we have centerpieces to finish, but they're, they're pretty much so done. So you're, you're, you're doing those yourselves. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And then uh, we have to finish paying off the photographer, which okay. we're, we're right there with that. Okay. Um, we just had our first, like, not our first. It's like one of our leading up to the, the wedding meetings with the, the, uh, um, with the, uh, the location. I can't, why, why? The venue? The venue, yeah, sorry. Okay, there you go. With the venue. And um, just went really smoothly. We took care of all the alcohol orders and whatnot and made sure that all the food was ready. And um, So this is a uh, uh, beer, wine, and booze? No, or no, did you just go no beer hard, and wine? No what did you do? Nothing hard. Okay, just so beer, beer and, and wine. Beer and wine. Okay, cool. All right, good, good call there. Go ahead. Yep, and then... Uh, other than that, I mean, we, we were just taking care of tiny little details like um, how it's going to look, who's going to do what at what time and setting the schedule and whatnot. And we're, we're pretty ahead of schedule, I would say. Your dad chimes in the chat today here in our closing moments. And he tells us one of their first dates was Casey's cousin's wedding where Casey and Alexandria spent more time staring into one another's eyes than any couple I have ever witnessed. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> and since that, you are getting killed. Yep. <laughs> I think they're talking about the, uh, the alcohol. I think they want the hard liquor. Oh, no. really? I think that's what the all Sir Boy Wonder about. naturally wants to know if White Claws will be available because Nutcutter Nation. Nutcutter Nation! Uh, is crashing this wedding, apparently. There's... This is uh, like Antifa. <laughs> Antifa. Uh, no, no, no. Um, I don't believe there's going to be any White Claws. What about Fireballs? Will... I was about to say there's going to be uh, some high noons, high nooners. I mean, that is vodka-based. Other than that, I, I think there'll be Miller. I think there'll be... Do uh, I have a cash option for hard liquor? Or is there no hard liquor at all? I don't think there's any hard liquor. Got it. Okay. There's some joint down the street, though, where they're having it that'll certainly have it. Well, I don't... There's a bunch of other places around where you're doing this, right? No. No? No. This is like right on the river, about 20 minutes. Well, then you could just, Paul, bring it, you know, stick a bottle like, you know. I'd, beer, I'm good with beer. Just sneak it in. Yeah, I'm no one's with, checking. I'm good with the beer. I'm good with the beer. What kind of beer did you go with? I went with Miller. 
That's my preferred. Mm, there you go. My okay. Preferred so choice. strictly Miller Lite, or did you go the High Life? A little bit of that. Did you go like a? Uh, I think it was just Miller Lite. I believe okay. it was just Miller Lite. Uh, I think she asked other people, including the father of Alex, Nathan. I, I think he was asked, and so was Amy. I could be wrong, so don't don't come at me if if that wasn't the case, Nathan. But um, what I do know is that High Noons will be there, Miller will be there, Wine will be there, and it's going to be a great time. I love hard to chat. I tell you what, I, I you love know, you hard took the chat. words out of. I mean, when we there are there are like one or two topics, right? Where if we get into even a sliver, right, of light shines on a topic, I mean, shit blows up on this thing, right? And it's booze <laughs> all the time, and all the directions it goes is unbelievable. I mean, you got high nooners. You've got Bud Light, naturally. What would it be without Bud Light, right? You've got Milwaukee's Best. What about Grey Goose for Tracy Jones? Paul, you got to sneak in some vodka. What about the flask? What about Keystone Light in honor of Doc? Why no Bud Light? What kind of coffee, Casey? Um, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. Henny. Henny. That's right. A Henny in there. <laughs> Henny shots on deck. Well, if you guys manage... You a Henny guy, Paul? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't like drinking religiously, but if you want to give me a shot... there, I The only thing I don't do a straight shot of is tequila. I won't do a straight shot of... I put... I mean, I, I don't dislike a, a good it. tequila, oh. you would. Not the, not the junk that I was drinking, like, back in... Yeah, college. but, like... The, the new stuff is just smooth as glass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I prefer not to do a straight shot of tequila, but I do like a good margarita. I'm a sucker for a good margarita. Mickey's Big Mouth made an appearance. <laughs> you guys don't even know what that is, do you? No, no. A Mickey's Big Mouth? No. There's a bottle of beer, and the top of the bottle of beer... You know, they're all the same, right? I don't care if you get a Bud Light, Coors Light, yeah. you know... The size of the actual area where you take the sip out of is like that big around. Yeah. Mickey's was a beer back in the old days. I think it was like this size. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be more volume coming out of there per second than the, the, uh, the pipeline. Alaskan pipeline. It's come flowing out of there. Is there even anything any, anything more since Biden took over? Did they shut down the Alaskan pipeline? Yeah, they did, didn't they? They probably did. It's probably all I shut thought they down. did. And then they blew up the other ones. Oh, so, that was the yeah. other one I was thinking of. Uh, Boone's Farm, MD 2020. Any of that going to be there, Casey? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Unless, unless, <laughs> right? No one's checking. No one's going to be checking people for... So if you, you wanted know. to sneak in a little, a little flask, yeah. no big deal. No big deal. Okay. I, I wouldn't endorse that, but... Um, Okay. okay. I, mean, I, I mean, it's gone way off the reservation. I just now. love our chat. Like, honest, honestly, on a serious note for half a second here, we were going back and looking at some of the stats from early on in the show and looking back at the very first show that we did back on September 1st. And I think we had, I forget the exact number, but I think it was like 15 chats that we had the entire time. Yes. And the viewership and the chats and everything. And it is gradually built and built and built to the point now where we're getting – 15 chats a minute and it we do appreciate everybody that, we do. that chats in we love all of you 
We joke around. We have a great time. A lot of times I joke that it's the social hour for everybody that just jumps in here and wants to talk with each other, and then they get a side of sports too. I mean, it's it really is a great time, and uh, do want to thank everybody at Netcutter Nation. It's been great. Absolutely. Yeah, please, Absolutely. please like if you haven't liked already the show. It helps us grow. Helps us get more and more nut cutters into the show so please <laughs> so the last question before we get to the cherry on there's the a better question in the chat but i'm gonna leave it alone because it's her sister go no no it's about a bridesmaid go ahead okay please i was going with the one that's above a key it. question what is what is the what are the chances on a scale of one to ten ten being you absolutely will zero being you will not what are the chances that for the week you are gone, when I'm sitting in that chair and having to run this thing, and Reed's sitting over here, that you are tuned in to Off the Bench. The, the honeymoon. The answer better be zero, but I know it's not, because I know you too well. I know the answer is not zero. Uh, but I hope it's less than five. I'll probably tune in at the beginning of every show. That's the wrong answer, but I know it's the right answer for Casey McAllister. Because you know why? He's a and company you know, man. You know what? I'll it's depending on what the topics are. I might just peek in. Because I don't know. What, what's going to be going on around that time? Nothing. Brother! Well, the finals. I hope something. The finals, right? NBA finals will be oh. around. And <laughs> you we'll the <laughs> oh, God, Paul. You're as demented as a chat. You're as demented as a chat. Good Lord. I mean, we got some guys asking some questions on. This is insane. All right. We're going to start taking uh, Bet Fred Sports on uh, the bridesmaids. <laughs> the bridesmaids? Uh, we'll leave her sister out of the mix. All right. All right. We, we, but, but Paul's right. We really want to sincerely thank all of you for, for joining us daily. I know things get a little wacky sometimes. We're in for two hours. We're just trying to have some fun. We joke around. But we like to try and give you a little extra time and dig into some of these topics a little bit deeper. Uh, that, that on local radio, you know, and it's no knock on local radio. I know all those guys. I love those guys. But, I mean, they got, they got 30 minutes of commercials or, you know, whatever it is. And it seems like you, know, you got the news and you got the – you don't have any time to talk about anything. Yeah, right. Right? And it's not a knock on them. They, it, you know, believe me, I wish we had a ton of commercials and we were all making a lot more cash doing it. And I know there are a lot of you that are thinking about being sponsors. We welcome your participation. We have a big meeting with Pani today. And we have a cherry on top before we do it. All right, let's have it. It's a very quick one, but it's a fun one from over the weekend. It's just real quick. Check out this I gator. I don't like the looks of this already. Look at this gator. Oh, my God. Now, wait for it. Look at the size. Look of at the head of the thing. gator. Are we playing that one as it lies? <laughs> Golf ball and <laughs> pop right on top. I You're just, kidding me. I like it as it lies. <laughs> I really want to know how this happened. And then look at the second gator out in the water. It's kind of lurking around. Man, that's a huge gator. Isn't it? it played is again, Casey. That thing looks like yeah. a dinosaur. Look at this thing. Hold on. Wait till it comes back around. Look at that. Look at the width on that thing. Holy Moses. Normally you see them there a lot leaner than that when you see them. And I've seen them on golf courses down there pretty regularly, down at Gator Creek outside of Sarasota. Mulligan! <laughs> oh, boy, no thanks. I mean, just – I think no it's thanks. huge. Yeah. All right. All right, boys. Case, nice going. Uh, Paul, nice going. Thank you. 
Uh, I will not be here tomorrow. Uh, be back on Friday. You know, we're starting this whole graduation season thing and a lot going on. Uh, and somebody pointed out in the chat, and I would too, uh, because I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I think oftentimes, you know, we think a lot about kids this time of year that are seniors and they're making their college choices and all those kinds of things. Look, every bit as important as that. And I've seen it with my buddies in the whole nine yards. There are a lot of those young men and women that are going off in the military. There are a lot of those that are going off to two-year schools. There are a lot of those that are going into some kind of trade or whatever it might be. This is a big time of year for all those young people. And we say congratulations to each and every one of you. We wish you nothing but the very best. We'll see you on Friday. Have a great rest of your day.